Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChumpaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VDW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Manufacturing has been building quality hutches since 1983. Ware manufactures modern chicken hutches, barns, pens, and nest boxes designed especially for the backyard flock. Ware offers hutches and pens for every yard size and every chicken keeper's budget. Visit their website at waremfginc.com. That's W-A-R-E-M-F-G-I-N-C.com. Or call them to find a retailer near you at 1-888-824-7257. Ware Manufacturing. When you need an incubator, think Brensey, the incubation specialist. Brensey has been a world-leading manufacturer of incubators for over 30 years. Incubators from 7 to 380 eggs with high-quality electronic and digital controls, including precise humidity control and programmable egg turning, all at surprisingly affordable prices. Visit them online at Brensea.com. Brensea spelled B-R-I-N-S-E-A. That's Brensea.com or call 1-888-667-7009. 
Enter the coupon code WHISPER at checkout and save 10% on their incubators, brooders, egg candlers, and other incubation accessories. When you need an incubator, think Brency, technology you can trust. You've just entered a dimension of dirty water, a dimension of poop-filled water, a dimension of stagnant water. You've crossed into the dirty waterer zone. But up ahead is your signpost to cleaner water, the Bright Tap Chicken Waterer. The Bright Tap Waterer is fully covered. Chickens drink from special valves, so dirt and droppings can't get into the water. Chickens get sparkling clean water. You get less work. No poop-filled water pans for you to touch or wash out. Bright Tap, clean water made simple. Visit chickenwaterer.com to learn more. That's chickenwaterer.com. Cackle Hatchery is a third-generation, family-owned and operated hatchery. They offer over 193 varieties of poultry shipped directly from their facility in Missouri. It's their mission to enhance your life by providing you with quality poultry for showing, meat, enjoyment, eggs, and pets. They specialize in hatching purebred poultry and shipping day-old chicks right to your local post office since 1936. 4-H and FFA Youth Poultry Clubs get a 10% discount. Check out their website, CackleHatchery.com, for posted weekly specials and discounts. That's CackleHatchery.com. Hi, I'm country music artist Nathan Osmond, and you're listening to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. And the mighty bird against prejudice continues his fight for law and order. So when you hear that cry in the sky, you'll know it's Super Chicken. Alrighty, thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisper. Again, our guest today, poultry scientist and professor, Dr. Bridget McRae, Ph.D., and uh, we've got translated. Very looking forward to that. First, I want to let everybody know that we had a wonderful contest for the chicken coop with Curtis Coops and Yardbarns.com for May and June. That contest is now over. We're taking a break for July. Enjoy your summer. There will be no coop contest in July but we will resume that in August, I promise. So August we'll have another opportunity for all our listeners and fans to win another awesome chicken coop. But you need to be on your toes because we're still giving away an awesome chicken coop in Chicken Whisperer magazine. We gave one away in our spring issue. We're giving one away here in our summer issue. You can enter that for free. You can subscribe to the digital edition for free at our website, chickenwhisperer.com. Click on the magazine uh, button there and it will say subscribe to Chicken Whisper Magazine. Click on that, and it will tell you how to subscribe to the digital edition for free. And then you can enter that awesome contest to win a beautiful Urban Chicken Coops Urban Coop. It's, uh, it's awesome. It is the, um, it's actually the round top chicken coop that we're giving away. It's a beautiful coop. Um, they are actually Chicken Whisper approved. They participate in that program and uh, it is really a wonderful uh, product. So you'll have an opportunity to enter that and win that. Um, so we are giving one away even though we're taking a break in July, but we will resume. our. Uh, in fact, we've given away a coop every single month this year in 2014. Uh, again, we're taking a break in July, 
we will resume in August, but there's still a way you can win through the uh, through the group contest in the magazine. So and the mighty cool bird against so, prejudice continues his fight for law and order. So when you hear that cry in the sky, you'll know it's Super Chicken. Okay, I have no idea where that came from. Bad Super Chicken. Bad Super Chicken. Get back over in your cage right now. Get over there. Cages, that's what happened. Okay, let's go ahead and give uh, Dr. McCray a big chicken whisperer welcome. Hey, Doc, thanks for joining us today. Hey, you got click happy with your <laughs> computer. Something happened, yeah, I don't know what it was. It just, <laughs> I was scrolling the mouse over to bring you on on the switchboard, and it must have just the mouse must have scrolled over the audio clips and, and uh, decided to say, hey, I want to play this one. The mouse has a mind of its own today, so... Uh, <laughs> They may be excited because tomorrow's the 4th. Maybe they're having a long weekend. I don't know. But, yeah, sorry about that. But nonetheless, we got you on. You are live. And um, always a great show. And we have uh, uh, poultry um, research translated. That's always interesting. There's some of the things that just make you go, hmm. That's the only way I can, the only way I can describe it sometimes, <laughs> things that make you well, go, Well, I just wanted hmm. to say, gonna, I've, I've been looking at the, the Urban Coop Company's coops, and they're just darn cute. Let me tell you, I didn't know what to expect when I was on tour. I stopped at their facility, and, and I, oh, honestly, I was honest with them, and I've been uh, honest with everybody else that when we stopped by, I didn't know what to expect. I thought maybe, and I have nothing against this, I just thought it was going to be a family that has a, uh, a, a coop company out of their garage or, you know, in, in a back building or something, you know, and they are 100% the Mac Daddy legit. He's got, oh, geez, he's got, Digital equipment. I mean, we're talking six, seven thousand dollar pieces of equipment that digitally masters the cuts of these coops. Oh. Um, yeah, I'm not kidding. It's absolutely amazing. He's got He's full-time not playing employees. Around. No, yeah, it's, it's absolutely amazing. Full. Uh, he uses um, an amazing quality wood, and I mean, we saw the whole process from the truck delivering the wood to the time that it's put in the boxes and shipped when UPS comes and ships them away. The whole process from beginning to end, he has full-time employees that come there every single morning to his site. He's got his own manufacturing facility for these coops. Um, they are not, you know, put together like, you know, oh, just let me get out, you know, it's, it's after lunch, let me go out to the garage and put these together. And again, I have nothing wrong with that. Small business is, is you know, is, is what America's all about. So I was, I was even taken by that when I got there on scene and started looking looking around and going from A to Z, it was amazing. And literally equipment, he's got, he does custom nameplates. So if you wanted your coop to be named, you know, uh, Cluck Dynasty or, you know, or whatever, (laughs) Chicken Whisperer, you know, the the, the egg-laying machine or whatever, he does that and all digitally, computer programmed to carve it out. But even the cuts on his coops to make sure they're, they're quality controlled, they're all the same. There's not, you know, measure twice, cut once type of deal. It is all computer generated, every cut, every fitting, everything, and I was very, very, very impressed with his operation. Not just. I wonder how they would have done at my place last night. We had a storm go through that was just (laughs) tremendous last night. Hmm. In fact, I I hope I have power when I go back home because (laughs) there wasn't any power this morning. There were trees down all around my house, but I mean they look like they're solid, close to the ground. And hopefully wouldn't become airborne, <laughs> as some, some coops are wont to do in, in, in stormy conditions. Absolutely. Yep, very much so. But, um, but yeah, well, they're I have, great. Uh, 
I have Great an product. upcoming event I wanted to share with you about. Please um, do. Please do. We have a pastured poultry conference coming up on August 2nd here at Delaware State University. That's a Saturday. And it's for farmers. If you want to come and you want to learn about pastured poultry, uh, whether it's getting started or maybe you want to you know, continue learning a little bit more, um, for those who are just getting started, we've got a getting started talk. And then I've got Dr. John Moyle from the University of Maryland talking about the realities of raising poultry on pasture because he's done research on it. Um, we've got a grass and bacteria study. We're going to talk a little bit about Northeast Sare Farmer Grants. We're going to talk about uh, where you, the farmers, want research to go in the future. So we will be getting feedback from you all. We're going to look at chickens for insect control, nutrition of poultry on pasture, pasture management, pasture poultry for egg production, the economics and marketing of pastured poultry, and then biosecurity for pastured poultry. So these are all some of the things we're going to be covering at this conference. And if this sounds like something you want to come to, great, come join us. It's a free conference. Uh, again, it's August 2nd. It's going to start at 9 a.m. until 4 p.m. at Delaware State University. And if you have questions, um, why don't you give me a call at area code 302-857-6432. Or, okay, don't call right now, though. <laughs> I'm doing the radio show. Um, or you can email me at bmccrea at d-e-s-u dot e-d-u. And that way I can uh, perhaps email you a copy of the brochure. You can fill it out and fax it back or email it back, however you want to do that. And sign up, register. We are only limited to 40 spaces, though, and we're already a third of the way through. So if you're going to do this, you need to hurry up and get it done now. Our deadline for responding and getting yourself a seat is June 21st. I'm sorry, July 21st. So, yeah, I know. Whoops. Whoops. <laughs> what month am I in? <laughs> July 21st. Um, all right. So I thought I'd get that plug in there. It's a wonderful sure. opportunity for you to come learn. Thank you so much. You wouldn't believe where I was at today. Uh, my One of my... Um, workers that works for me when we're in town, and he does great work for me. And um, he's uh, he's picked up. He does a lot of work for the chicken farms around. And so I had to go hunt him down this morning. I had some uh, uh, honey to do list uh, since I was out and about for him to to get started on. Since we just kind of got back into town, and uh, he was out at. And I'm not going to mention the name of the company, but it is a big boy. They, they they have a lot of houses up where you're at, but it's a big big boy chicken company. And uh, he was out there doing his morning routine for uh, them, and I drove out there and uh, I talked to the owner of the place, and he said, uh, yeah, he's up there doing his morning routine, drive on up there, you know, all these signs posted, keep out by security. And, and he said, yeah, go on up there, no problem. <laughs> I said, okay, I'm just letting you know that uh, uh, I haven't been in, in, on any other farms, I haven't been on, you know, that, 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 I just got back to town and everything. I said, I didn't get off, you know, anyway, so went up there and then, uh, got up close and personal with the uh he had fourteen houses and each house each house had um thirty thirty one thousand um birds in it. 
And, oh, so um, just one or two, yeah, yeah. Just one or two, yeah, 31,000 in each house, and he had 14 houses. It's a relatively houses small operation. Uh-huh. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> I was just uh, looking around, you know, just uh, I found uh, Philip, who, who does a lot of work for me. He said, yeah, probably another 30 minutes. I'll wrap it up, and I'll, and I'll uh, be ready, Mr. Andy. So, uh, But, um, yeah, I was right there with the, with the big daddies, I guess, and whether you're <laughs> for or against that, regardless, you know, everybody has their – their their beliefs, but um, again, it's always uh, it's very interesting to go on something like that versus the small. I have a dozen chickens; they're all named. I give them blueberries and oatmeal in the morning. To this mass operation of you know thirty one thousand in each house, fourteen houses, the tons and tons a of feed. A hobby versus a profit bearing enterprise is going to be running yeah, completely exactly. different. It was, it was it was a little a little overwhelming, but but uh, yeah, the process is, is still the same. So. But, um, yep, that's where I was at for just a few minutes this morning before I had to go get my, my, my farm hand and help out a little bit. So um, so let's talk a little bit about poultry uh, research translated. Well, there's a couple of really cool articles that came out in um, the Journal of Applied Poultry Research that I'd like to share with your listeners today. Okay, And uh, for, my, for this summer, I have a, a, a research um, student, Lashida Brooks, who um, and who is uh, – helping with a couple of projects, but uh, she benefited from going through this particular article I'm going to share with you, as well as my other students. Um, we're do, we're going to do once a week, we're going to go through articles and, and share what research articles we like, and so I thought I'd share this one with your listeners, since everyone in our group was just thrilled reading it. It's the effect of range enrichment on performance, behavior, and forage intake of free-range chickens. So this research was done in Italy. So Journal of Applied Poultry Research publishes from all around the world. And they wanted to see what the effect of different types of enrichment out on range has on the birds. How do they do? How much do they eat? So they chose to do this trial in two different seasons, winter and summer. So they took a regular old standard free-range system with, um, like, no real kind of enrichment in it. So it was range. It was pasture. Yes, they could go out there. They could eat the grass. Yay. Okay. Inside that pasture, they had exclusion pens periodically located several feet from the hut that was in the pasture. The hut is where the chickens were locked up at night. So they were these exclusion areas allowed the pasture to grow without the chickens getting in there and munching it all to pieces. And that was 7, 12, 17, 22, and 27, and 47 meters away from the actual hut. So they had, you know, they were looking at, you know, how far are the birds going from the huts to eat all this grass? So I thought that was really smart. That was really clever. So they have these, you know, these um, half meter by half meter exclusion pens located at you know, increasing distances from the actual hut. And so they had two uh, replications of the, the control pasture, so no enrichment, just grass. And I should also mention that they, they did have... Um, not so sure about this, and it could be that I'm just not as familiar with the way things are run in Italy. They u- they used male naked neck chickens purchased from a commercial poultry farm. 
So I don't know why they chose naked necks. They may have been adapted to the region, but that's not something that we have readily available, uh, or at least in the same, in the same, um, perhaps genetics here in the United States. So keep that tucked in the back of your mind. Um, and it is good that they chose all male birds because that's uniformity. Um, they're they're not dealing with both males and females. So they had two pens set up that way. Then they had two pens where half of the pasture they seeded with sorghum. So if you're familiar with sorghum, Andy, it grows pretty tall. And it's a, you know, it's a way for the birds to kind of duck in and out of there and feel like they're hiding a little bit or, you know, even if a vulture or a hawk comes by, they can kind of panic and run in there and and just kind of do chickeny things in there as they wait for you know, the predator to get. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and then when there's not predators around, I'm sure they're doing chickeny things in there anyhow. Um, so they had two pens set up with sorghum. Then they had, uh, and I'll, I'll just clarify this, these four pens that I just described, the two with just the pasture and the two with the sorghum, uh, those were both uh, at the University of Perugia. Then they got access to a farmer's farm who had olive trees, and they set up two pens so that the birds could walk in and amongst olive trees. And why did they choose olive trees? Well, remember, this study takes place in the winter and in the summer, and do olive trees lose their leaves? Nope. So that way the birds, you know, they still had some some cover and some shade. So, you know, no, this wasn't done all at the exact same farm. They had to get another site to do um, the research with the olive trees, but it was nearby. I should just clarify that. So what they did is they looked at the birds' behaviors, and um, the behavioral observations were all recorded during the last week of age when the birds were 83 to 90 days old. And they they looked at the birds in the morning, and they looked at them in the afternoon. Um, They looked at them for about a period of three hours for each pen. And they were, you know, they went in there. They waited five minutes before they started to do the observation so that the birds could get used to the fact that there was a person there. And what they did is they took 20 birds in each group, and they marked the tip of their tail with a little bit of color so they could um, tell them from the other birds that they weren't observing. And what were they looking for? They were looking for moving um, birds, so walking and running, standing or standing idle, lying or resting on their sternum, eating, that includes food and water consumption from feeders and drinkers, okay? Uh, Ground pecking, so that's pecking at the ground and scratching the ground followed by pecking. Wing flapping. And then other activities like self-preening or preening other birds. That's called allopreening. So they had a pretty good list of behaviors they were looking at, and I was very happy to see all this variety. Um, Then they looked at uh, the forage intake. So remember those exclusion pens? They had a very specific formula that they used to calculate, you know, were these birds actually eating? And they went through and they looked at the different types of, and identified the different types of 
vegetation that was growing in the pasture. So as you and I know, the types of grasses and plants that grow in the wintertime are going to be different than types of grasses and plants that grow in the summertime. Well, those are called warm season and cool season um, grasses. And they identified each one. So they did a very good job. They were very thorough. Um, and in, this, in both winter and in summer at the University of Perugia site where they had the sorghum and then the, the, the pasture without enrichment, they were able to find about 10 different types of uh, vegetation in, in the different pens. At the farm with the, veg, or with the olive trees, in the wintertime, they only found five different types of grasses, but in the summertime, they found about 20 different types of grasses. So, yeah, so it's, it's good to pay attention to what's actually out there that your birds are eating. That would include just general weeds, too. I mean, not specific planted on purpose, but just grasses right. in general. That would be weeds. Things they that just looked at everything. Pop up. Yeah. yeah. Okay. They looked at the, the condition of the bird's feet because that is still a marketable item. And they looked at the different types of uh, growth patterns and, you know, how big did the birds grow, how big were the carcasses. Um, they looked at all those growth parameters. So what they were able to find, and, of course, they did all the statistical analysis on it as well. Um, so what they found is um, the productive performance of the birds was not affected by range enrichment. Um, the presence of trees or tall grass or like the sorghum, um, you know, those did actually help um, reduce predation. So, you know, the standard paddock didn't have any trees. It didn't have any sorghum. Um, they had cases of predation by raptors, which are birds of prey like hawks and eagles and falcons. Um, but they also had crows that showed up and were being, um, well, less than pleasant to the birds. Um, and that was mostly problematic when the birds were first being reared. And, you know, as the birds got older and bigger, you know, you kind of, you know, a crow's not going to be a big deal or as big of a deal. So mortality rate was lower in the enriched environments because the birds had a way to get away from those predators. And so you know, this isn't rocket science. It's, it is science, though. We all realize this, that chickens run for cover. Mm -hmm. And um, so the mortality rate was lower in the enriched environments. Um, the chickens who had no enrichment, they stayed indoors much more um, than go out and forage on the pasture. In the enriched environments where there was sorghum and olive trees, birds spent more time outdoors, and they, they more widely exploited the amount of pasture that was available to them, so they traveled further from the hut. So the more enrichment you provide the birds, the more they're going to use the space that you give them. Um, the amount of forage that the birds was eating was significantly influenced by the rearing system and the season. So chickens that were in the olive trees, they had higher um, vegetation that they ate. Um, they went, you know, they explored the area almost like 50 meters from the hut. 
So, you know, with the olive trees, the chickens showed the the also the lowest frequency of of foot pad damage, and um, um, you know, uh, what we call breathlessness or breath damage. So that was really kind of cool. They no they kidding. did have. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I said no kidding. That is neat. You know. I don't know if you would get something different if you used a different breed, if you did it in the United States with different climate, but I've just found this to be wonderfully designed and well executed. Um, they found um, just a lot of details. So the contribution of pasture to the diet of the birds, you know, that they, they were able to, to really see the effects of pasture enrichments on the on the behavior and they did a good job. Um, they did, uh, let's see, they did recognize that this is meant to help, um, you know, view the importance of grass consumption and animal welfare in the production of both organic and free-range birds. So since many of your listeners, Andy, um, allow their birds to range or um understand and value the importance of enriching the environment of, of their birds. Here's a little science to kind of back up what most of these listeners probably feel that they already know. And so I wanted to share that with your listeners before moving on to the next um, the next article. Do you have any questions or did it I'm I don't have the chat room open. Did you, did any questions pop up? Nope. Uh oh, Andy. Andy's not there. It's not open today. Oh, okay. I was just I was just checking myself, but no no chat room today. <laughs> okay. I was I was interested that they used uh, naked necks of all the breeds that are out there. They yeah. <laughs> I, I'm I'm still kind of going. Why that one? You know. <laughs> um, <laughs> and and you know I could be that it was uh, something that was easily readily available. I don't know. Can't answer that question. <laughs> okay. Here's another research study that was done um, by a gentleman who is now local here. Uh, he did this when he was in Arkansas. This was um, gross performance of fast-growing broilers reared under different types of production systems with outdoor access. Implications for organic and alternative production systems. So what they basically did is they, you know, they understand that um, birds grow out there, the fast-growing birds, they, they may or may not be using the space effectively. So what they did is they went and put birds out on pasture using a mixture of forages that were readily available in Arkansas. And um, they had four treatment groups. They had small portable hoop houses with access to pasture, small portable hoop houses without access to pasture, a fixed house with access to the outdoors, and a fixed house without access to the outdoors. So, you know... In three of those four cases, the birds have access to insects and sunshine, um, but in a couple of those, the birds don't have access to the actual grasses themselves. 
So you're okay. kind of looking just, at... Just the fee that they get. Just the view that they get, yes. The feed. <laughs> oh, the feed, yes. <laughs> Sorry, I thought you said view. Um, so, you know, they did this a couple of different times in, of the year because you all know that in Arkansas and, and other parts of the country it can get a little warm during certain times oh, yeah. of the year. And uh, that might have an effect. Um, and sure enough, it did. They did it in spring, in the summer, and in the fall. And I believe it was the summer period they had to actually stop the study early because it was just so hot that the birds were not, um, they were kind of suffering. So they were like, yeah, it's too hot to have this continue. We're not, you know, we're going to end this trial early. And that's completely fair. Uh, Let's see. So what were some of the results? Um, So basically... Overall, raising birds in hoop houses resulted in a reduced growth rate compared with birds raised in the fixed houses. None of the production systems altered bone strength or feed conversion because they did those sorts of tests. Once they processed the birds, they collected the bones and did bone strength tests to see if the birds benefited from that outdoor access or not. But... um, you know, none of the other, none of the production systems changed the bone strength. Their feed conversion was not improved by letting the birds have access to the outdoors. Um, you know, they did test for bacteria, and you know me, I like to test bacteria, me, the microbiologist. Um and so I appreciate that they did that work. Unfortunately, in this particular you know series of tests, they didn't uh, they didn't come across any foodborne pathogens associated with poultry. You know, it's good that they didn't find any pathogens, but then I'm kind of going, all that work and you didn't find anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Me, the microbiologist, be going boo. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. You know, me and my microbiology. Um. So what they found was that seasonal production was an issue in the small hoop house birds because the way the hoop houses were built in the extreme heat of the summer, it really, when the heat hit the cover over the hoop houses, it really radiated the heat down on them. And after talking with this author, oops, there goes my phone, I'm so sorry. That's okay, um, no after talking, what are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> with this author... He says um, it really, they really needed to um, raise the height of those hoop structures so that the heat didn't radiate down on them so much and maybe you get some dissipation before it actually reached the height of where the birds were located. And that's a lesson learned. The, and, yeah. you know, honestly, Andy, if I have to get down on my hands and knees to get, you know, into a hoop house or lift things through the door or deal with any of that, I'm I'm not going to be happy. I want to be able to just walk in. And so whoever can design a portable hoop house that's tall enough so that the birds don't get heat that just pounds down on them and I don't have to hit my head on the door jamb going in and out, I will be thrilled to purchase. (laughs) And like, like you've talked about many a times when we've talked about coops, you know, when you're looking at buying a coop, designing a coop, whatever, you need to really keep in, in the forefront 
uh, ease of cleaning and, and yeah. maintaining because if it is a pain to get in there, crawl in there, bend, and, and your back issue, you know, it, it, you're not going to do it. You're not going to want to do it, and you won't do it like you should. And this study found it affected the bird's ability to grow. So it may look good. It may be a fairly good design, but until you test it, during certain seasons, they did fine in spring and fall. And so it might be a way to extend your season there. But in the summertime in Arkansas, it was just too hot for the birds to perform well using a hoop structure. That's rather unfortunate because, you know, that's you don't want to have to focus all your efforts in just spring and, and fall. You'd like to be able to take advantage of the summertime, too. <clears throat> So, um, you know, other things that they looked at were uh, body weight, and we talked about the <clears throat> about the bacteria. Um, as the birds aged, they found that the birds with uh, in the fixed house with outdoor access uh, weighed just about the same as the birds with the fixed house and no outdoor access. Um, Significantly less in weight were the birds that had um, been put in the hoop houses. Whether or not they had access to pasture in the hoop houses, those birds just weighed less. And that was noticeable and consistent from four weeks of age until the birds were seven weeks of age. Uh, let's see. Ah, those, those, those awkward teenage years. <laughs> yeah. And that was in the springtime. Um, they actually, in the summertime, um, they had the same result, but they had to cut the study off a week early. Uh, and in the in the fall, uh, they had basically the same result. Um, the birds in the fixed houses, uh, they they grew better. They were larger. And if your consumers are are looking for a good sized bird, and you want a bird that converts the feed that you make available to it efficiently so that you're not wasting your time and money and you don't have to charge your customer, you know, an arm and a leg, that's the way you're going to want to go. Feed conversion uh, was pretty consistent across all seasons and all types of houses, and we talked about the same thing with bone strength. So I just wanted to share that tidbit. We thought that was a really cool study, too. We were so tickled that it was someone here who had moved here on Delmarva um, that my students actually had met and knew this person, and they, that was cool. <laughs> a cool correlation for them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, any questions on that one, either from you or your listeners? No, I don't think so. No, it's pretty cut and dry. Okay. Um, this next one I found really interesting, and it's it, Looking at uh, chicken production from a, a very different point of view, one that we don't get to talk about very much, Andy, but I think your listeners really need to to think about this. Um, it's uh, it's from a researcher from um, North Carolina State University, Dr. Ken Anderson. He does phenomenal research. I know his um, name. I've seen him on several studies I've researched. I think one particularly was... Uh, I think it was a probiotic study that, that he did, if I remember correctly. Yeah, he does. He does. He has great facilities. He does wonderful yeah. research. 
And he's really been focusing on um, some of this uh, free-range or organic topics. So the information that comes out of his lab in the next few years should really benefit some of your listeners. That'll be great. Okay, so this particular study also came out of the Journal of Applied Poultry Research, and it's called Time Study Examining the Effect of Range, Cage-Free, and Cage Environments on man-hours committed to bird care in three brown egg layer strains. So basically, he's looking at how much time people are spending raising birds for eggs, and these are brown egg layer strains. Time is money based on uh, employee cost. uh, Right, and you know, when you go to market your product, are you adequately calculating your time and labor or the labor of your employees into the cost of that product. Right. And so some of your your listeners um, really may want to consider these details when they're pricing their product if they're moving from a hobby to a small enterprise. And nobody really ever gives their time very much thought, but you need to do it. Mm-hmm. So he compared, like I said, the range system, the cage-free system, and the cage system. He used three strains of brown egg layers, the Highline Silver Brown, the Highline Brown, and a Barred Plymouth Rock, which I thought was really cool because I'm doing work with Barred (laughs) Plymouth Rocks right now. (laughs) Um, He had multiple replications, so he was able to determine if if something was due to chance or if it was actually legitimate, um, legitimate difference. And um, what he did is he let the birds adjust a little bit. Um, They were reared in the same manner that they they were going to be raised in until they were uh, until they were egg-laying. And you know, they had to learn how to use the range, use a roost, use the nest for egg production, and uh, perform foraging behaviors so that, you know, they they adjusted to their environments. Um, you know, they, they were all fed um, balanced diets and had access to, to water. Um, so how did they calculate the man hours. So what they did is they they calculated how much time was spent working within each of the pens or the replicates. And the personal personnel who did that work had to record how much time they were spending in each of those pens doing whatever down to the minute. Okay? And so if some of your, your listeners, Andy, actually took a stopwatch and before they stepped into their coop or barn or wherever their chickens are to start doing whatever they're do, doing, if they hit the timer and when you know did whatever they were going to do and then hit the timer on their way out, then they'd know down to the minute how much time they were spending the, with their birds. And if they write it down on a little sheet of paper, at the end of the month they can tell, oh, okay, I'm spending this much time with the birds. Okay, I got this many eggs over that amount of time. My time is 
you know, how much am I charging for my my hourly rate so I can make a living wage? That's one thing that you can do, and you know, you might want to do that for like say a month, four times a year, because you know your activity is going to change depending on the season, whether it's winter preparations or summertime activities. Um, so you know they had their caretakers had to sign in and out. They had to do um, had to care for the birds, pick up dead birds, check the feed, check the waters. Um, all that good work. Um, so essentially, in this particular study, they didn't really see a difference at all between the strains of chickens that they used. So strain alone didn't have an influence on the number of man hours. However, the strain, in combination with the poorest livability or highest mortality, had the greatest man hour requirement for the hens that had survived. So let me let me talk about that a little bit more. Um, what they found was that um, essentially the strains weren't important, except for one of the strains had uh, the the um, the survivability or the livability was a little bit lower. And so what they did is they based their calculations on the number of birds that were alive at the end. So <clears throat> the hour per hen rate uh, examined for the hens surviving for each period, the highline silver-brown required the greatest time input over the highline brown and the barred Plymouth Rock hens. The Highline Silver Brown required the greatest time associated with hen survival due to the higher mortality rate in the cage-free setting um, over the other strains. So they had a little higher mortality rate. And so when you look at it on based upon the number of birds that survived, there was a difference there. All right, so as a result of their work, when you move from intensive or cage production to extensive production, which is cage-free or range production, it requires a significant increase in time commitment. A 45% increase in man hours was seen when you move from a cage to a cage-free system. A 279% increase in man hours was seen if you move from a cage to a range system. That's pretty significant, wouldn't you say, Andy? Yeah, what? Well, I guess it kind of makes sense, but now when you say cage-free, um, for, for our listeners, that that's still... That's still latest. indoors, but they're indoors. not in cages. Correct, so they're, yeah. Like not, an aviary system. Poultry. No, no. Right. So yeah. the cage-free layout consisted of 24 pens that were um, a combination of slats and litter floors. And the pens were eight, 12 by 18 feet with two-thirds of them being slats and one-third of it being litter. Um, so each hen got about 144 square inches. And there were about 216 hens per pen. 
Um, they were all provided with roosts and nest boxes and food and water. Heat and was provided in winter conditions. Um, but there's an exa- uh, explanation. You know that would be similar to somebody who just had a chicken coop. Okay, without outdoor access. Right. Or somebody who kept their chickens in a barn. So if you move from a cage-free system to a range system, you're going to see a 161% increase in man hours. Wow. Yeah. Are you pricing your product correctly? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Flock mortality is going to end up um, resulting in increased man hours per hen in the later period of the the growth cycle. Um, The man hours needed for the care of hens in all the production environments decreased as as the hens grew older or as the hens aged. And that makes sense. Um, the strain of commercial laying hen or the use of a heritage breed may affect the man hours per hen needed to care for the flock. Um, this may be associated with the productivity of the hens, the mortality of the flock, or, or other production influences of the strain. So that's something for your listeners to really think about. Uh, if you're going to give your eggs away, maybe you need to really think about what you're bartering for. What you get in return people, and how much your time is worth. Yeah, when I talk to folks, they, they, um, most everybody I've talked to, I've never heard anybody get into the, all the details of that. They, they're like, you know, I'd really like to recoup some of my food cost when they do that, but they, they don't go into factoring a lot of their time and things like that. They just figure no. they, the first thing they do is they go out and they figure out what are other people selling their eggs for. Right. And so, and that, oh my gosh, you and I both know, and our listeners know that when we see this online, it's like I sell mine for two. Oh my gosh, I sell mine for five, and people buy them all day. Mine are three fifty, mine are four. But yeah, depending on where they're at in the whole nine yards. But I've never met anybody that says, well, based on my time, based on my feed costs, based on you know all this, you know, the, all this information, um, this is what I have. Like like that article you did in our spring edition of Chicken Whisperer magazine, where that that was really eye opening about the you know, a, a, an egg being, you know, 85 Don't cents. Don't cheat yourself. Exactly. And so most people are like, okay, well, you know, uh, if I could just get some of my feed costs back. So uh, most people around here are selling for 3 bucks, so I'll sell them for 3 bucks. <laughs> and if I can sell, you know, uh, four, you know, four dozen a week, then I can I can recoup a, a, a whatever, a bag of feed or something. And you can't compete around here with the Amish who who's maybe their children are the ones who are taking care of the chickens. Uh-huh. Yeah. So they don't factor that labor cost into the price yep. of their eggs. It's mm-hmm. all feed cost for them. I mean, kids got chores to do. Yeah. <laughs> As I'm sure your children will have chores to do someday. And so they, they I still I think have their, yeah. I think your listeners would really benefit from thinking of their birds as and their birds' products as as a really valuable commodity. The amount of time that you put into it, the amount of care that you give your birds might be more or less than what this study was able to record. Don't cheat your birds. Treat them like the kings and queens that they are. 
And make sure that if you're going to barter with those products, that if somebody gives you guff about how much you want for your eggs and say, this is what my time is worth and this is the time that I've put into my birds. And if somebody wants to argue with that, that's not somebody you want to deal with because they don't get it. They just don't get it. Yeah, Move on to a customer who is who is willing to appreciate your time. And then you got, and like I said, you just got the folks that are just wanting to recoup their feet. They're not in in it to you know the hobby farm. Not into it to bring any money in other than to recoup a little bit of a feed cost if they're if they're lucky to do that. And then you and then you have the folks that really want to use their their farm to generate income for their family and and, and living money for their family instead of just an extra bag of feed. And all that all that factors in, and and um, it's uh, we we all know. My take on, again, with the farm I was at today, there's 31,000 chickens in there, and, and, and how we've, over the years, you know, come to that is, uh, is riding down the road and seeing uh, six-piece nugget meal, 99 cents. You know, I, the, 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 the big farms out there are not for me to be able to eat chicken um, at, at, you know, 6.99 a pound for boneless, skinless breast. I think, I think that it's... The, the restaurants, the, the fast foods, the 99-cent nuggets. And and, and uh, the majority you know, the, of the general population can't afford what the rest of us might charge for a, a, a premium product. Right. I mean, how, how many people even today, I mean, we, we do, there are select things we don't, without a doubt, we buy organic, no, no matter what, if we have to, you know, this is in the budget so we don't, don't get this, that, or the other. Milk is one of those things that we just buy or, organic. Um, there are some things on the list we buy organic, some things that, that, that we don't. So we're not 100% everyday organic. I think that's in this day and age. If you're doing that, God bless you, but it's almost near impossible, um, especially living in a rural area. It's hard enough to find them. I mean, we couldn't even find yesterday ketchup without high fructose corn syrup in it at, at, at our local grocery store, Harvey's, um, and we didn't buy it. We said, nope, that's important to us. We will just either get it on our next Amazon order or next time I'm up somewhere, I'll get it there, let alone finding anything organic where we're at, um, uh, at least in the county that we're at. So, so it's Well, it's tough, time to make tough. your own ketchup, Andy. That, I know it. How about that? It's we'll tomato get, season. Make our own, absolutely. I go to Brown's Market. Now, yesterday we did... Um, uh, I did bring home uh, a big crate of peaches and um, uh, blueberries and, oh, a cantaloupe that was just about the size of a watermelon. I can't wait. It's in the fridge getting cold. I can't wait to, to, to devour <laughs> it. That's a but, big cantaloupe. Um, but, it, oh, it's huge. It's mammoth. But, you know, the, the, the other thing is is that I still live in an area. Now, again, I almost, I almost took a picture of this big thing of fresh peaches. They were picked yesterday morning. I bought them right from the farm, right off the road of the farm. Were they store. Chilton County peaches? What's that? Were they Chilton County peaches? No, Macon County. Oh, okay. Just as good. But, yeah, in fact, the refrigerated rail car was invented in the county that I live in in order to get peaches up to the north and other places without them going bad because peaches are in season now and it's not as hate So, um, And then our county that we live in produces more milk. Uh, than um, any other county in the state. Very, very high agricultural county. We, we produce a heck of a lot of pecans, peaches, cotton, and, uh, and then, but you know what? I, I don't know of a single organic farm in my county. I don't. I, I don't even know of one. It's all um, you know. Time for you to call your extension office. I bet you they can tell you. 
Yeah, I bet, I bet he could. Yep, I've I've gone to him before do, doing my soul tests for uh, for my garden and things like that. So uh, it's always neat that in some of the studies that that the scientists do, and uh, I'm sure a lot of them are based on uh, you know um, uh, cost. You know, how can I save cost here? I can, let's do a study to see if how many man hours for the different breeds, or or you know this this feed feeding this way or feeding that way, and and how they can well, make. Uh, it's based upon demand. So obviously there was yeah. a demand in North Carolina for this sort of research on the part of farmers, and they were able to get the money to get this done on their behalf. So, um, you know, for your listeners, just to remind them, if you want work done on a particular topic or subject, you better start making some noise to your extension office and yeah. some of the funding agencies and make sure that you are heard because staying silent doesn't get you anywhere. There you go. Well, that's awesome stuff. Awesome information today and uh, really good stuff. Uh, poultry research translated, always a neat show. You can look back at our archives, folks, and see whenever we have that topic listed, uh, you're guaranteed to have some very interesting uh, studies and research that are out there for all different types of things, all different types of poultry and, and sizes of farms and, and the whole nine yards. So you can look back on our, on our archives there iTunes.com, Podcast.com, Zoom.com, and right here at BlogTalkRadio.com as well. And uh, Dr. McCray joins us the first and third Thursday of every single month with all kinds of great topics to keep our backyard chickens happy and healthy. So, Dr. McCray, thank you very much for joining us today. We hope you have a wonderful holiday tomorrow, Independence Day. uh, You too. Yeah, and we'll see you back here in a couple of weeks. You take it easy, Andy. Happy Fourth of July, everybody. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hey, it's the Chicken Whisperer. If you're in the market for a new incubator, then look no further than GQF. They have a great selection of tabletop and cabinet-style incubators at prices you can afford. I love my GQF Genesis Model 1588. It has a large picture window and an automatic thermostat, which makes for a better hatch every time. Go pick out your new incubator at GQFradio.com. That's GQFradio.com. Pictures of chickens on aprons are common across America, but picture a chicken wearing an apron and you'll probably get a good chuckle. Laugh if you must, but nothing protects hens better than the Hen Saver Hen Apron. Hen Saver Hen Aprons protect your hens from the damage caused by an overly affectionate rooster and may even provide protection from an unexpected hawk attack. Hen Savers come in several different sizes to fit both bantam and standard sized hens and roosters. Colors include camo, denim, navy, brown, khaki or black, and soon pink. Crazy K Farm is expanding its already colorful hen saver collection to include the color pink. A portion of their sales will be donated to organizations that fund breast cancer research and awareness. Order your hen saver aprons today at hensaver.com. That's hensaver.com. Ideal Poultry has been a family owned and operated business since 1937. Their business is built on customer service and quality poultry. From rare white and brown egg layers to broilers, ducks, turkeys, and bantams, Ideal Poultry is the largest supplier of backyard poultry in the United States, shipping close to 5 million chicks annually. Visit them online at IdealPoultry.com. 
That's IdealPoultry.com. Introducing the Chicken Fountain, a new way to water your flock. The Chicken Fountain will change your life and keep your chickens healthier by providing clean, fresh water every time. No more daily cleaning of dirty chicken waterers. This semi-sealed system keeps every drop of water fresh and clean. Proudly made in the USA, the Chicken Fountain will provide your flock with fresh, clean water for years to come. To order your Chicken Fountain, visit ChickenFountain.com. That's ChickenFountain.com. Actually, in reality, I am Super Chicken. Alrighty, thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, another great episode with Dr. McRae. We love it when she's on. And uh, you can scroll back to the archives and see all the different topics she shared with us and our listeners over the years. Hey, I want to give you an update and just let you know, I don't have it up on the computer right now, but if you'll go and visit my Facebook page, Facebook forward slash the Chicken Whisperer, and uh, go to my Facebook page and scroll down on my post and, uh, sometime last week. Um, the salmonella outbreak that we covered in May has been updated again by the CDC headquarters in Atlanta, and I posted this last week. It was a very busy week for me, but I did post it out there. I'll be talking about it probably later this week. I'm sorry, next week on the radio show. Uh, but the numbers, there's been two updates. There was the initial um, uh, bulletin that was broadcast, I believe it was the 8th of May. And then it was updated again uh, about three weeks later, and the number of ill doubled at that point. Um, and then it was just updated last week uh, a second time. Um, and again, the number doubled again with the number of confirmed illnesses from this outbreak. And they have identified an additional strain of salmonella that is coming from the hatchery uh, that's related to this outbreak. So it would uh, be definitely in your best interest if you think you received birds from the affected hatchery or a store that may have gotten their birds from this uh, particular hatchery to just go and read the update, especially if you started following uh, the outbreak back on May 8th and then you saw the updated about three weeks later with the number of six doubled from the beginning. It has since doubled again from uh, the last uh, update. And uh, the number of hospitalizations, the percentage of hospitalizations is, hospitalizations is about the same, 31%, 32%. But um, at the, at they have identified even an additional strain of salmonella other than the, uh, I believe it was the infetus and the, uh, there's one more, I'm trying to think. But, uh, but definitely go and review that, especially if you've been following it, especially um, if, it, that can, if that's concerned you and you did get birds. But just, just to be on the up and up and be aware that there has been another update, and I wanted to make all of our listeners aware of that. So just again, facebook.com forward slash the chicken whisperer. My page will pop up. You can scroll down, and you'll see it last week where I did post the update. And we'll probably be talking about it uh, in detail sometime next week about this additional strain. I may have the CDC on, uh, but um, just to give you, we'll talk about if there's any new information or pertinent information. Again, we don't want to be the dead horse. We've got the, the accurate, actual, scientific information out there for you from the podcast we did back in May, but I did want to make sure that you understood that there has been an update uh, and uh, the number of ill had doubled again. And most importantly, there's another strain of salmonella that's been identified. So uh, just be aware of that. Go read it and uh, gather that information. 
for your knowledge. Uh, I hope you all have a wonderful holiday weekend. Tomorrow is Independence Day, so we hope you will have fun with family and friends and realize why we can do that because we live in the greatest nation on the planet, uh, in my opinion, and I'm glad to uh, call myself an American. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad we have freedoms that we have. Um, and I appreciate you listening to this show on a regular basis. We really do. Families, friends, the homeschoolers, the truckers, the farm stores, everybody that streamed this radio show live for their customers across this great land, thank you very much for doing so. And we'll return this coming Monday with Peter Brown, the Chicken Doctor, another great episode of Ask the Chicken Doctor with Peter Brown. That will be this Monday, 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, right here on Blog Talk Radio. So have a wonderful holiday weekend this weekend with family and friends. We'll see you Monday. God bless everybody. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VDW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.